James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to be here this morning uh, with you all. My name is Reed, and I am one of the pastors here at the Olathe campus. So it's a joy to be with you, to open God's Word, and uh, and really to explore a not-so-easy topic. Uh, If you've been with us the past couple weeks, uh, or if you haven't, uh, we've we've been going through these vices and virtues. Uh, And really what we mean by vices and virtues, this is language that's been used uh, in in the realm of philosophy and theology and in the church for for years and years and years. And really what we mean by this is that vices are these these deeply-seated habits uh, that form and shape us to be people that we may not even fully recognize that we're becoming. Uh, And so the vices aren't necessarily the worst thing Things that we do, but they are these habits that lead to and form us into people that, that may find themselves guilty of doing something that's the worst thing possible. And so we have to see the distinction between vice and sin and vice and virtue. And the virtues are not necessarily the enemies of vice or the, uh, the counterparts, but they are the remedy to these vices. And so this morning, as we turn to our vice that we have for, uh, for us this morning in, in our text in, in James chapter 1, I want us to understand something, that the vices, we tend to look at them and say, oh yeah, I know, I know someone who struggles with this one. Oh, I definitely know someone I'm related to who struggles with this one. But we tend to downplay their reality and their power and influence in our own lives. And this morning's vice of anger is no exception. In fact, I think that anger is one of those vices that like, we look at and say, yeah, I know we get angry at times, but if I were to ask a show of hands, like, who here thinks they have an anger problem? My guess is I won't see many armpits, you know? Like, we're like, no, I don't have an anger problem. I'm, I'm angry. I may say things or t- text things or tweet something that I regret, but to say that I have an anger problem is a bit excessive. And, and I think we say that because in our context as kind of Midwestern suburbanite people, we tend to think that we don't have an anger problem because we are layered and layered with comforts. And if we were to take those comforts away, what we would find is that not that anger f- comes in, but that anger is revealed when those comforts are removed. Which is why C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford-trained atheist-turned-Christian, he has this great line in talking about this. He says, everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. We all feel that. We all feel like the love, the idea of being loving and kind and compassionate and patient. But once we remove the comforts and once we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we find the anger that is within us kind of welling up. And so, I mean, if you were to take away coffee from me for a month, Let's just see how, how patient I actually am. If you were to force me to drive five miles under the speed limit for a week, let's just see how patient I am. If you were to take away air conditioning for a day or take my phone and hide it for eight minutes, let's just see how patient I am. We all, don't, we, we all struggle to recognize that anger is not just something that happens to us, but anger is something that lays dormant. It's a sleeping giant in many ways. And what we have to see, and I, I know we don't like to admit it, But the reality is is that each and every one of us is angrier than we realize. 
Each and every one of us is angrier than we realize. And, and some of you right now are really angry that I even said that, you know? And you're even angry because you know I'm right. And so I want us to understand that this vice of anger is not just something that other people have, but we all have it. And it rears its ugly heads in different ways. And so what I want us to see this morning is that we all are angrier than we realize, And in order to help us all get to that point of recognizing this vice, the first thing I believe we need to do is to own up to our anger. We have to own up to our anger and stop giving excuses or concessions or or giving some kind of justification for why we get angry. Because oftentimes it's, we think that someone makes me angry. She made me angry. He made me do this. And you all know That no one makes you angry other than you. You and I are the only ones responsible for our anger. And so we have to see that anger is not something that comes upon us, but it wells up inside of us. And so we have to learn to own our anger. Which is why James, in in, in his great letter, if you've never read the book of James in the New Testament, I encourage you to spend some time in it. It's a phenomenal book filled with wisdom and practical application. And sometimes people refer to James as the New Testament or the Proverbs of the New Testament, which is a collection of great wisdom. But in James chapter 1, verse 19, we read these words. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now what James is saying here, he's giving us so much to consider and apply to our lives. And, and James himself being a Jewish man was very familiar with the Old Testament wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs as well as the book of Ecclesiastes. And in fact, James's words here of being slow to anger are an echo of what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 where we read, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Now, now James is giving us this command because he understands how, how dangerous and destructive anger is. And, and then this word we see in Ecclesiastes in verse 9 where it says that, that anger lodges itself in the heart. That word lodges, it literally means to, to establish, to be rooted in, or to, to make one's home in. And so you could in some ways translate that verse as, as anger makes its home in our hearts. It's not just an emotion that we find coming upon us, but it is something deep within us that bleeds out into our lives. Another way to think about anger would be is to imagine a tick, which is, I know, kind of disgusting. Isn't isn't that just wonderful? Yeah, Uh, you're all squirming right now. But a tick, you know, if it's on your skin, you can flick it off. But the danger comes when it burrows its poisonous head into your skin. That is the problem. And we have to see that anger is not just something that's on the surface, but it is a danger that is poisonous inside of us and bleeds out into other parts of our lives, which I think we, we have a hard time seeing anger in this way. Because we tend to justify it. We tend to explain it away. In fact, I would, I would go so far as to say, at least for my life, that the vice of anger, I believe, is the easiest vice to explain, to justify, to give excuse for. You know, we say things like, I don't know what came over me in that moment. It was, that, that was a rare occurrence. It was a heat of the moment. Uh, something just kind of took over control. I don't know, you know, that wasn't me. We, we give concession and exceptions for our anger when we really know that no one is responsible for our anger other than ourselves. And so for us to really see this, I I want us to offer a few questions as we consider and reflect on this reality that you and I truly are angrier than we realize. And the first question is this, 
Consider this. Are you angered too easily? When it comes to anger, do you find yourself being angered far too easily? In a situation where, where, you, where things are not going your way, when, when your spouse, your sibling, a friend of yours, your boyfriend or girlfriend or coworker, when they're not doing something expected of them, when, they, when they're not cleaning up after themselves, whatever it may be, when they don't accomplish a task that now puts you out, what is your response? What is your default posture and emotion? Is it anger? Do you find yourself easily triggered in those situations? Do you find that anger so easily, naturally, and readily comes up in situations where your patience is tested? I remember a few years ago, about two years ago, I was talking with uh, my daughter Lula, who was about five or six at the time, and, and we were reading a Bible story, and we were talking about heaven, and we were talking about what would be in heaven. And we were talking about all these nice things, and it was lovely and, and pleasant, but then we started talking about what wouldn't be in heaven. And so I, so I asked Lula, I said, Lula, what do you think would not be in heaven? And we talked about things like sickness and evil, but then Lula really quickly said, yeah, there won't be this, there won't be this, and then there won't be any mean dads. <laughs> and I, I was like, I wonder what dads she's thinking about in this moment right now, you know? And, and, and I, I laugh about this, but like it, it shocked me. It hit me like a ton of bricks because my first reaction was kind of to get angry. Like, what are you, what are you talking about, kid? Like, who, who, like, I'm not an angry person. But I asked her, I, I explored more. I said, sweetheart, can you tell me why you said that? And she said, and kind of, I mean, she was a little bit embarrassed, but she said, well, you just, you seem to get mad pretty easily. And we talked more about that and it crushed me. Because in my mind, what I wanted to say, yeah, I was like, I'm not an angry person. And she's just coming up as this is some isolated event that she's referring to. But it takes a five-year-old to reveal to me that I get far too easily angered in my life. And, and I think that we are so blind to it. And again, I can give justification excuses for why I get angry at my kids. Well, if you were there, if you would have been in that situation, you would have done the same thing. But we are all, we all find ourselves getting easily angered in various ways. But some of us, maybe, maybe it's not just that we get angered so easily, but perhaps our anger is, is an anger that is, that is too excessive. That maybe some of us are angered too easily, but some of us are also angered too excessively. Do you find that, that when you get angry, that you go over the top, that your volume increases, that you become a little bit more irate, that that, that, that kind of vein in your forehead starts popping up? Like, do you find that your anger is more excessive and over the top? Do you find that you have to increase your volume so that people understand how serious you are? You know, like, wh why do we think that's an effective way of getting people to think and understand our feelings? Like, you have to see how serious I am. Like, why? No one ever thinks that's an effective means of communication. In fact, my wife, Megan, and I, we were just reading a book called Parenting by Paul Tripp, a phenomenal book I'd highly recommend uh, to parents. And, and Paul Tripp talks about this very concept of like when we're yelling at our kids, when we're increasing our volume and overreacting, he says this kind of tongue-in-cheek here. He says, no child hears that kind of talk and says to himself, what a wise and loving parent. I know I can share my heart with this person. I just wish he would say more of these things to me very more often. I'm so thankful this person is in my this person is my parents. I think I'm beginning to see my heart. You know, like no kid is reacting that way. They think this person is irate. This person is crazy and irrational. Why do we think that increasing our volume, overreacting, gets the point across? I realize the irony that I'm kind of yelling right now, and as I'm doing this, but hopefully you understand. We all have preacher voices, you know, but, but the point is, is that we do find ourselves either getting too angry too easily or too excessive in our anger. And oftentimes we exaggerate our anger as a way to kind of make ourselves more of the victim. 
And so we make the situation far more worse. We use more adjectives and descriptions to make the situation a little bit more intense, to make them far worse of a perpetrator and me far greater of a victim. We do this because we find ourselves getting angry too excessively. So as you think about this, either being angered too easily or too excessively, ask yourself this question, how do you see anger taking form and shape in your life? How how does it manifest itself? What what form and shape does anger take? Do you find it more increasing in in, in forms of yelling? Do you find anger taking the shape of, of cursing, of slandering others, of using your words to attack, to belittle, to condescend, to destroy? Do you find anger manifesting itself in things more like like being more passive-aggressive? Or do we even find anger manifesting itself in abuse? Do we find it manifested in things like verbal abuse and physical abuse? And let me just, just, just as a side note, let me say, like, if, that, if that's you, if, if that strikes a chord with you, I mean, I'm, I'm not naive. I, I realize that domestic abuse is a reality that is not just something that happens outside of these walls and communities outside of ourselves, but it's probably a reality for some of us. And if that identify, if you identify with that, I invite you to bring someone into that conversation. Would you reach out to a pastor, to someone you trust and know, so that this does not continue And and if you are the person who is abusing, would you also know that one of the most loving things that we can call you to is repentance, to recognize what you're doing is wrong and to turn from it? Do you understand that anger, it's it's not just an emotional concept, it's not just a philosophical idea. This is a serious vice that traps us and bleeds out into relationships and is toxic and dangerous. We need to give serious attention to this because we are all angrier than we realize. And we have to own up to it. Now, in some cases, our anger is because we have gotten too easily angered or too excessively angered. But in some cases, I think that our anger problem is actually rooted in the fact that we don't know how to be angry about the right things. I think our anger problem in some ways comes from the fact that we get angry about the wrong things and we don't know how to get angry about the right things. So how do we get angry about the right things? Because we tend to justify and give explanation of of why I get angry. Like, well, it it was a good cause, it was a good reason. If you were there, you would have gotten angry as as I did. We, We think that our reasons for getting angry are noble and just and righteous, but if we're honest, it's just because we've been inconvenienced. It's just because something has not gone our way. Our anger isn't really rooted in righteousness and justice for the sake of other people. Our anger is rooted in a self-centered, entitled mindset. I have not gotten what I wanted. And and oftentimes, which is true of all these vices, is that the vices play very well with each other. They feed off of one another. And the vice of envy can very much serve as this jump starter to, to anger, where our lives are fine, but then we see this other person and we want what they want, and it produces not just jealousy, but an anger in wanting them to have less. In fact, there was, there was a study conducted actually among monkeys, which is fascinating, to show the ways in which how hardwired it is within certain species, and humans are no exception to this, that when we see somebody getting something better than us, we get irate. And in, in this study, I want us to show this video. It's phenomenal. These two monkeys, they both get cucumbers for, for an action that they do, and then one gets a grape, and just see what happens. So she gives a rock to us. That's the task and we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. 
And see, see, the other one sees that. See, gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. Yeah. Stupid monkeys, you know? I mean, we, can all, we can all identify that to some degree. Like, life is fine, but then all of a sudden, your neighbor comes home in a nicer car, and now, now you're angry and jealous and envious, and it takes over. If we're honest, our anger, more often than not, is rooted in self-centeredness and entitlement, not in a desire for justice and the good of other people. Our anger is more rooted in envy more than we care to admit. Which is why I believe that our anger problem needs to, we need to consider how do we remedy it? I think it comes from learning how to be angry about the right things. It's not, it's not just suppressing anger, ignoring anger, or denying anger, but rather knowing how to use anger correctly. Notice what James says in verse 19. He doesn't say refrain from anger. He doesn't say diminish your anger or repent of anger. He just says be slow to be angry which means that I mean, it implies that there's, there's a reason, there's a season and an appropriate situation where anger is right and good. But my guess is, I know for myself, that when I'm angry, it's usually not the right situation. The Apostle Paul affirms this in his teaching in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, be angry and do not sin, implying that you can be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And we even see it in the person of Jesus, the perfect, sinless, righteous one who got angry, who on a certain occasions flipped over tables in the temple, angry at the Pharisees for the way in which they abused their religious authority, the way in which they refused to show compassion to outsiders, and Jesus got angry and did not sin. You see, I, I think each and every one of us, we all have a certain amount of angry chips, and, and how we cash those chips in, how we use them is so important. And my, my gut says is that the reason why we have an anger problem is that we have spent almost all of our angry chips on lesser things and we no longer have those chips to be used when it's necessary and right and good. We don't know how to be angry about the right things. In an article in Time Magazine uh, entitled America's Growing Anger Problem, Jeffrey Kruger, he, he documents all the various ways in which anger is kind of growing and growing within various circles of our, of our society and culture. But towards the end of the article, he makes this brilliant point in talking about right anger. And he says this, there's something to be said for adjusting the rage to fit the provocation, to fit the, the situation that provoked you to anger. If every offensive, unjust, or insulting incident turns into a jolt of high fructose fury, mainline straight to the brain's amygdala, what's left when there's a truly right and righteous reason to rise up in anger? And those important moments do occur. The issue is not just the emotion of anger, but it's also the target of our anger. What are we getting angry about and is it the right thing to be angry about? Because in some situations, it may sound strange, some situations, the most loving thing you can do is to get angry. I mean, just think of, I mean, if I found out that my wife were being attacked in the parking lot, and, and my reaction was like, well, what are you going to do, and I don't get angry, you would doubt my love for my wife. 
True love demands anger in certain situations, but my fear and concern is that we don't know how to be righteously angry because we expend all of our anger chips on things like bad Wi-Fi or we don't have anything to wear or the royals are terrible or like whatever it is. Like I'm not saying we should just never have emotion at situations like that, but when all of our angry chips are expended on lesser things, we've got nothing to give when we must be righteously angry at the things that break God's heart. Our anger problem is not just that we overreact, but it's that we have improperly used anger for the sake of love. And in some ways, uh, we have to see that this nature, this relationship of anger and love, and it's confusing. Uh, when, uh, when our children were born, a prayer I've kind of prayed just, just periodically throughout their lives is just a simple prayer of, God, would you help my children love you and love the things that you love? Just very simply, would you help them love you and love the things that you love? But I've realized in preparation for the sermon is that there ought to be also this additional prayer of, Lord, help my children be angry at the things that you're angry about. Help my children's hearts to break over the things that break your heart. It's not enough for us to just simply love the things that God loves. We must also get angry at the things that anger God in a way that compels us and pushes us to love and compassion and service. And so perhaps for some of us, we do, we, we, we need to, to recognize that we need to be rightly angry to get us out of these ruts of apathy and indifference. Maybe you feel that, you're just like, nothing stirs me. Nothing really angers me or excites me. And we think that that's kind of a great thing. Oh, you're just kind of neutral. But in some ways, that's, that's an apathetic view that's very dangerous. Because the opposite of love is not hate, it is. It's indifference, it's apathy. Which is why Thomas Aquinas, in, in writing on the vice of anger, says this, that the lack of righteous anger must be seen as sin. The lack of righteous anger must be seen as sin. And so we, we need to consider this. Some of us do need to repent of our wrongful anger, of our toxic anger, of our abusive anger. But some of us also need to repent of our lack of righteous anger of our lack of, uh, of an ability and capacity to be angry at the things that anger God. And so just think about it. What, what angers you? What comes to the top of the list? I mean, just think of the last three things that, that angered you recently. And were any of them things that angered God? Or are they just things that cause anger within your life because it's an inconvenience to you, because life didn't go your way, because the situation didn't pan out the way you expected? Do we find ourselves angry at things like uh, unjust systems in our world, or do we get angry at things like human trafficking and slavery that exists in our world today? Do we, do we get angry at the bigotry and racism we see in our nation? Do, do we get angry at, at a broken educational system represented in our city in certain places? Do we get angry at, 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 at the domestic abuse that takes place in our communities and neighborhoods? Do we get angry at the bullying that we see amongst our peers in school? Do we get angry at the things that God wants us to be angry at? And does it anger us to the point of compassionate service? You see, good anger is expressed and displayed when at its core there is a desire for the goodness and the justice and the fairness of all people. Not just for ourselves, but for others. And so my prayer for us is that we would be people who would be rightly angry about the things that God is angry about that would compel us to be people of compassion and service. But we will never get there unless we admit that we are angrier than we recognize. 
and that we have to own up to our anger. So yes, part of the remedy to conquering this vice of anger is learning how to be angered rightly at the right things. But we also have to learn how to be patient with our anger. Yes, we need to own our anger. We need to understand how to be angry at the right things, but we also need to be patient with our anger. And here's the tricky thing. Like, no one likes patience. Like, even talking about patience makes us angry. You know, like, when I have to be patient, that makes me even angrier. Patience is such a difficult virtue to find and form in our lives, which, which is evidenced by this great anonymous quote I came across in preparation. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom in a woman, but never in a man. You can stitch that on a pillow if you want. But, but I mean, it's true. Like we, we have a hard time with this virtue because of, of the way in which it's related to anger. Like the more patient we're called to be, the angrier we kind of often become. But what we have to see is that the reason we are angry people is because we aren't patient people. And we aren't patient people because we have not learned how to be patient with our anger. Well, let me explain what I mean by that. Patience is not just the quality that allows us to kind of be okay with everything. It's not this ability to just kind of say, hey, you know, just smile and fake it till you make it. That's not what patience is. That is apathy. That's indifference, which is truly, as I said, the opposite of love. Instead, patience needs to be seen as the virtue that allows us to handle and use anger properly. Which is why, if you look earlier in James, in verses 2 through 4, look what James says about patience. He translates the word steadfastness, but it's the same word. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word steadfastness really is the same word as patience. And the idea behind this word is is basically that patience is the quality that equips us and enables us to not surrender to or succumb to, to anger in situations or trials. You see, we have to see patience as not something that just destroys anger. It, it, we, we, need to see, we need to see patience as not as the coffin that we put anger in, but rather the leash that we put on our anger. It's not about destroying anger or removing it, but it's knowing how to wield it, how to properly use anger in certain situations. Patience is the ability to face difficult situations and yet endure and sustain the load of misery and pain and cost that that situation brings, which is why James puts the virtue of patience in the context of trial, of difficulty, because no virtue is obtained without some kind of cost, pain, or difficulty. I mean, just think about it. You you can't claim to be a humble person unless you've been humiliated. You can't claim to be a generous person unless you've endured the sacrificial cost of giving to the point that it hurts. You can't claim to be a patient person unless your patience has been tested. And so really what this means is that patience is not just the opposite of anger, or even just the remedy to anger, patience is the proper wielding of our anger. But the question still remains, how do we become patient people? How do we grow in this virtue to subdue and control and put a leash on the vice of anger? Well, let me offer a few things for us to consider. And the first thing is this, we need to get to know our anger. We need to get to know our anger. And what I mean by that is that we have to understand and ask the question, is what I'm really angry about really what I'm angry about? 
Because oftentimes anger is, is, is a secondary emotion. It's symptomatic of something else. It's a fear, an insecurity, uh, some kind of other emotion that is producing this anger. And so the question we should ask ourselves is, what is causing me? What's behind this? And, and one suggestion that, that one author has given is, is that we should, we should create anger journals, which doesn't sound fun, you know, or pleasant. You know, I don't think they have those at Michael's or Hobby Lobby. But, but, but what we should do is have some kind of journal where after you've had a blow up, after you've gotten so angry, once you've calmed down, sit down and just write out the situation. What happened? What was said? What was done? How did you react? What were the emotions you were feeling? What, how were you provoked? And, and if that entry goes like nine pages long, it's probably a good reason, you know, sign you have a problem. But, but what we have to see is write out, reflect on what's been going on. What caused you to be angry? And then close the journal. And then come back in a week or two when your mind is calm and collected and just read that entry again. And you may find that what caused you to be angry, you're looking at it with this clear, rational mind, like, that was absurd. I totally overreacted. Or you may find that it's still angering you. It's still producing this emotion and and you're thinking about this person, you're wanting to seek revenge. And so I I encourage us to do this for weeks, for months, and perhaps what we'll find are certain uh, rhythms or consistencies or patterns to what causes us to be angry. And with that, in addition to that journal, I would encourage you, invite the voices of people you know, you trust, and have them speak into your life and just say, ask them, do you see me as an angry person? How do you see anger manifested in my life? How has my anger hurt you? Invite the voices of others to help, uh, to help you get to know your anger. Secondly, and this is a really simple one, hang out in the book of Proverbs. Hang out in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, 31 chapters. There's 31 days in a month for the most part. You could read a chapter a day. This has been part of my Bible reading plan. I've, just, I've always tried to read a, a chapter of Proverbs every day. And what you will find is that time and time again, chapter after chapter, there is something in those words that speaks to anger, that speaks to our harsh words. One of my favorites is uh, Proverbs 14, 29. that says, slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. Oh, that's so good. Put that on a coffee mug as well. Um, 15, 1, uh, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. 1727, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Spend time in the book of Proverbs. Thirdly, put yourself intentionally in tough situations, which sounds so strange, but but, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the reason a football player is able to make a catch in a game is because he's practiced that play over and over and over again when it doesn't count, so that when it counts, he can do it. And so perhaps what we need to do is to kind of create simulations or put ourselves intentionally in spaces where we know our patience will be tested. And, and be aware of your emotions as you enter in because it's one thing, it's one thing to get stopped at a red light or to be pulled over uh, by a cop and you're angry, but be prepared for it. I'm not telling you to intentionally go get a ticket. Uh, uh, some of you are going to see that as an application. But the point is, is that, I mean, maybe get in line at the long line at the grocery store intentionally, you know, and see what, what you're feeling. Be aware of your emotions. Maybe you need to prioritize a little bit more the tasks and chores and responsibilities you have that are less than desirable and put those kind of on the top of your list and just see how you react. And and here's a great one. Spend time with people whose lives are more difficult than yours and learn from them. I mean, see, see, what the, see how they face these difficult situations. How is it that they're able to have composure and patience when their lives are so much more challenging than mine? 
Spend time and be aware of your emotions when you enter into those places. And lastly, trust that God's got it. Trust that God's got it. I don't say that flippantly. Please hear me. Like, I'm not just, yeah, just saying, yeah, just, he's got it. It's okay. Let go and let God. But truly, we need to understand that God is sovereign over all things. And that means your life and mine and the lives of those that you tend to get angry towards. I believe that if we truly understood that God in his infinite wisdom knows what's best for us, in his infinite love desires what's best for us, and his infinite power is capable of accomplishing what's best for us, we wouldn't need the virtue of patience. We would live with this understanding that God has it. He is in control and he's working at all things for my good. Regardless of how I'm seeing it now, I believe that all that comes my way is necessary and nothing is necessary that he withholds. Do I believe that? I believe we need to see that God has it to the point that we're able to pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy will be done, not mine, but truly to believe that God's will is done. And some of us need to believe that God is sovereign over our lives, but we also need to believe that God is sovereign over the lives of others because sometimes our anger is rooted in the fact that so-and-so has not gotten their act together that this person is not living how I want them to live, that they have not progressed as much as I want them to. We have to trust that God is at work in our life and in the lives of those around us. So if we want to fight against this vice of anger, we, we must grow in the virtue of patience, but we will never, I don't think we will ever be able to fully live in the, in the virtue of patience unless we believe that there is a God who is going to make all things right. I don't think we will ever be fully patient people unless we believe that there is a judge who is going to make all wrongs right, who is going to do something about evil and injustice and sin in the world. I, I know this may kind of sound strange, but, but what we need, if we want to conquer anger in our lives, what we need is a God who gets angry. That sounds so backwards. Like, what, what, what do you, how does that make sense? The reason we get angry is because we think we've got to take things into our own hands. And it leads us down the path of vengeance. Or we say, well, then, I mean, everything's kind of falling apart. What's the point? And it leads us down a path of apathy. And neither are desirable. And so if we want to be people who can conquer anger, we must believe in a God who gets angry over sin and evil and injustice. To know that he is in charge, that he is in control, and he will bring all things to rights as he desires. If we don't see God in this way, we will either take things into our own hands and go down the path of vengeance or give up and go down the path of apathy. We must believe in a judge. We must believe in a good, righteous, and holy God. Otherwise, patience has no chance in our lives. And probably the best place that we see this picture of, of trusting the God of justice to do what is right the best picture, the most beautiful and power, powerful picture of this is in the gospel of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Who on earth has ever had the right, I mean, more than Jesus, no one else more than Jesus has ever had the right to get angry at why, at how he was treated. Jesus, the innocent, righteous, spotless one, was, was declared guilty for having done nothing. He was falsely accused, mocked and beaten, betrayed by those who loved him. He suffered the consequence of your sin and mine, not because of anything he had done, but in order to satisfy the justice of God so that we would not have to be the objects of God's wrath. If anyone had a right to get angry about how they were being treated unfairly, it was Jesus. But how did Jesus respond? 
How did he face this injustice, so to speak, that was brought against him? The Apostle Peter says it so well for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's speaking to followers of Jesus, and he says to this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Referring to Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, what did he do? He did not revile in return. When he suffered, what did Jesus do? He did not threaten, but he continued doing what? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus was, an, in, was able to entrust himself to God the Father, the righteous judge of all things, knowing that through this vicarious death, through Jesus' suffering in our place, he would accomplish his good and satisfying justice so that we would not have to be the objects of his wrath. When we understand and see and believe Jesus in this way, when we see and understand God's justice and mercy at the cross, this is what equips us and empowers us to be people who are patient with these far lesser issues of anger in our life. When you understand God's unending, abounding patience towards you and me, when we sin against him day after day after day, and he continues to forgive us lavishly, it makes our anger towards these lesser things so utterly ridiculous. And so what you and I need is to understand the amazing patience that God has displayed towards us in the person of Jesus. By loving us and forgiving us and looking over our sin and placing our punishment upon Christ, when we understand that truth, it reframes the things that we get angry about. And at the end of the day, the reason I am impatient and angry is because I doubt and I disbelieve to some degree the loving patience God has shown me through Jesus. Friends, that's what you and I need more than anything else, which equips us to be the kind of people who are able to say, not my will, but yours be done. And so in that light, in that understanding, I, I think just a great way for us to, to bring this message to a close, I invite you to stand that we, as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. I think it would just be appropriate, if you would, for us to together declare the reality that God is sovereign over all things, that we desire His will to be done and not our own, that we would live with that mantra, and, and maybe that this is not what you believe. And so maybe you need to stay silent, but I invite you to, to explore and understand that the only remedy to our anger and the only power to make us truly patient is to understand that God, the righteous one, sent Christ to suffer in our place that we might be able to trust that he will make all things right and equip us to be people who say, not my will, but yours be done. So together, let us pray the Lord's Prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Go in peace.